0: now to uh, discuss the the topic of the day uh, which is uh, faithful we've moved on uh, remember we've been talking about when my endeavors draft futility God's answer inspires lasting beauty and uh, I want to I want to apologize I, I think I feel like I've kind of done you a disservice because uh, I've explained that phrase and how it's a mnemonic device and that type of thing, but I haven't really explained uh, the questions that come along with that and how those words that we're trying to remember, um, you know, wisdom and uh, mature, educated, discerning, faithful, I haven't talked about those other than the fact that, oh, hey, there's these words. Uh, So it's not just the fact that these words exist, and that they're all summed up to create something that's beautiful in our relationship with God. It's uh, it's a a way of thinking, a way of planning out your life, a way of um, a way of living, really. Uh, I'm not going to make uh, like a bracelet instead of what would Jesus do when my endeavors draft futility. God answers, but first of all, that's way too long. Uh, but it's. Uh, It's not something that uh, you should ponder like that. It's something that you should just know that should be ingrained in you. And quite honestly, all of this comes by focusing on God's Word and then taking that focus on God's Word, as we've talked about before, ingraining it in your heart and then living your life based on what you read in God's Word. So really what it is is uh, what is the wise way to look at this. That's where wisdom comes in. Is my conclusion the mature conclusion? That's where maturity comes in. Am I educated in my conclusions? What is my process for discerning my conclusions? Is my conclusion faithful to Jesus and who he has revealed himself to be? How does God, or how does this, pardon me, keep me grounded in Christ? How am I being accountable in my conclusions? How does this keep me invested in relationship? What are my actions leading others to conclude? So there you have wisdom, maturity, education, discerning, faithful, grounded, accountable, invested, leading, And then the last question is, is this beautiful? So is it including all of those things in your very actions? So today our question, of course, is, is my conclusion faithful to Jesus and who he has revealed himself to be? So I was thinking about this, well, I've been thinking about this for quite some time, um, about this sermon in particular, because there's so many... Ways to go when you talk about faith, right? Um, there's so many different things we could spend time reading uh, Hebrews 11 and going through like the the Hall of Fame. We can point out different stories and say, "Oh, see, well, there's faith in action, and you're called to have faith, so you should have faith." But there's an epidemic. There's a a problem that we see in the world today and, and, dare I say, even in the Christian church where faith has become just this buzzword that literally just means you really, really, really believe in something. And not for any direct purpose other than you're told to believe in this and not for any particular reason other than you're told to believe in this. And the problem with that is, is you open yourself up to not truly understanding what being faithful means. So that leads to, oh, like Sunday Christians. That leads to the rise of, you know, uh, well, in my day, you know, televangelists, right? Televangelists that would come along and they would teach you all of this stuff and then it would turn out that their entire empire would fall because of their humanness. Um, it, it leads rise to um, just sitting in your pew, uh, believing what it is that you're told, and that, that's the extent of it. And if anything happens in life, all you do is, well, you know, I just have to have faith. Now, I'm not saying that you don't, Have to have faith, but I'm saying if that's all faith is, is this buzzword that you throw around, if there's nothing that solidifies it for you, if there's no um, groundedness in your faith, if you can't take that faith and explain the hope that it gives you, as we're called to do, then it really is just an empty faith. And that's sad. In fact, it's more than sad, it's scary. Because that means that there's nothing. You really are having faith in nothing. We're not asked to have faith in nothing, we're not asked to just blindly follow without any reason or any thought. Have you ever pondered why it is that the that the world likes to say, well, you have logic and then you have faith? Or they'll say, well, you have science and then you have faith. Because logic and science to them means that there's reason behind it, right? <laughs> Scientific procedure means that You put the same elements in the same condition and you reach the same conclusion over and over and over again. So you can practice that and you can see what happens and uh, you can uh, deduce from that the fact that it continues to happen when you put those same things together in those same conditions that, well, that must be then a fact because these things continue to happen. So that means that, you know, based on... That, that this is a truth that exists and it's logical that it exists because there are these evidences that show that it exists. So what we did uh, just you know, a couple years ago, we spent, a, we spent almost the entire year just looking at who Jesus is, looking at different evidences. Right, We went through Lee Strobel's book we spent uh spent we had a separate book study um on uh, you know we just spent all this time focusing specifically on evidences for what it's what it is that we believe and why we believe it the person of Jesus who jesus is uh in in its enti- you know in his entirety who is jesus and the reason that we spent all the time doing this when we're talking about faithful uh is because there is something more concrete. There are evidences. There are, you know, historical records. There are, um, there are precedences that are in place that show us that uh, there is more than just thin air to have faith on. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not asked to just blindly follow, right? We can't sit here and say that our God is not a God of chaos, he's a God of logic, he's a God of reason, and then say, oh, but we just have to have faith because those are contradictory statements. How can we expect people to value this buzzword of faith if there's nothing to back it up? I kind of think, um, I have a term that I use from time to time. I call uh rich kid syndrome. It's, It's uh, you know when the parents have grown up and they've worked hard and they have all this money, and then the kids they grow up and they just know that there's money, and so they're you know they spend it uh, however they want to spend it. They do whatever it is that they want to do, and the parents let them because you know you just you don't want the kids to have to work as hard as you did to make it, so you let them have free reign with what it is that you've got. And you don't educate them on the hard work that it took to get it, so they don't value it, and they don't understand in reality what it is, because it's just always there for them. And I think that, for large part, the, the church is guilty of doing the same thing with faith. Saying, you have to have faith, I have faith, you should have faith, The Bible tells us we should have faith. Look at all these people that had faith, but you don't tell them about the process that it took for those people to have faith. Right? We look at uh, Abraham. The guys are, you know, we're doing the Bible in three years, and every morning we're reading, and we're going uh, through Abraham a little bit, and you see uh, Abraham uh, taking Isaac to be, uh, to you know because god said hey bring your son and sacrifice him to me so abraham takes isaac and he starts going and they go on this long journey so that they can go up and he ties him up and he puts him on the altar and is about to sacrifice him and then god spares him and said no 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 wait look there's a ram right there don't kill your son we talk about how faithful abraham was at that point to take uh, the, the product that, that God had promised, to take his son, the person with whom his covenant would be fulfilled, and to put him up as a sacrifice because God told him to. And, oh, it's so great that he was faithful. The part that we often skim over is the Abraham who twice, was so fearful for his life when he went into towns that he would say, oh, that's not my wife, that's my sister. The the Abraham that would say, you know what, Sarah? Yeah, it is a good idea. Why don't I go ahead and sleep with your Egyptian servant and have a son? That's obviously what God meant. Right? The Abraham that... When, when he was visited, said, well, I'm too old to be having kids. So that's kind of funny. Now, those aren't a detriment to him. That gives us an example of his journey that he took. That journey that helped him to build his faith to the point where he could say, yes, God, I will take my son." And I will take him up to sacrifice because I know, based on my relationship with you and all of these things that have occurred, that you will provide for me. Your will will be done. My life has led me to the fact that I can now say without a shadow of a doubt, God is going to provide for me. His faith wasn't based on this, you know, floaty oh there's a God there I'm pretty sure he's there yeah there may be a creator yeah he may have a plan for me but there were evidences that were put into place in his life and he worked through those different evidences and he came to the conclusion I can follow him now he it's not that he didn't have faith before that right because he left Ur, based on the promise that God would give him uh, the land, that he would have descendants uh, more than the stars in the sky. He had faith to follow God and to listen to God and to believe God. But there were points and times where his faith that God would provide for him and God would take care of him where those things failed him. I don't know about you, but if... If I have a relationship with somebody and they tell me, you know what you need to do? James, I always provide for you. I'm always going to take care of you. You need to just get rid of all of your money, sell all your possessions... And just follow me. I'll take care of you. If I did that in this day and age, and I told you guys about it, because you're my friends, I'd want to tell you, hey, this is what I'm going to do. You would think that I'm probably a little crazy. Right? Leave everything that you know. My aunt is shaking yes, James, you're crazy. Thank you. I'm just going to get rid of everything. I'm going to I'm just I'm going to head out to the middle of the desert. I don't know why. Just seems like the right thing to do. That would be crazy. Now imagine that that's if I follow some, you know, person. But I say to you, uh well, you know, I'm pretty sure that this this God wants me to follow him and he wants me to get rid of everything and he wants me to go out into the desert with nothing. And he's going to provide for me. Without any type of context, well, you'd probably still think I was a little crazy. Now we have the, uh, you know, we have the fortunate opportunity to see like the full thing. We've got we've got all of history to look back on to. Imagine if I was saying that to you and this didn't exist. If God's word wasn't here for us to take a look at. And we didn't have a history as, uh, as Christians of serving the one and only true God. And I just said to all of you, my family and friends, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go follow this God. He says he's going to give me everything that I've ever wanted. I just have to give up everything that I currently have. You see, when Abraham had that conversation with God, he didn't hesitate. So it shows me that he was a man of faith. He believed what God said. But Abraham, of course, is just a man, so he wasn't perfect. we have the opportunity to look at examples like Abraham and to say there's much, much more than just you need to have faith. We have the opportunity to examine faith, examine the opportunities that, uh, that we've experienced in our lives, the traumas, the adventures, the directions that we've gone, and to develop that faith so it's more than just this buzzword that we use. It's something that we can actually base our lives off of, and our children can learn the value of that faith and direct their lives through that. Now, that's not to say that our children are not going to experience some hardships along the way as they travel this road of faith. They should, because it's a struggle. And I, I don't know, I, I struggle every time That my children have to go through anything. It's true. I want to make sure my kids are provided for. I want to make sure that I did a good job. I didn't fail them. That they're going to be able to overcome whatever comes their way. But I don't want them to have to go through it. I want to protect them. And it's a struggle that we as parents deal with on a regular basis. Do I step in at this moment in my child's life and help them? Or do I just trust that what I've imparted to them and what their community has imparted to them will help them overcome this and they'll grow from it? It's a real struggle. But you see, we're given an example in God that allows us to be in relationship with God, the person who is going to provide for us. God says that we don't have to worry about food, we don't have to worry about what we'll wear. He will provide for us, but yet we experience these these pitfalls in life. We experience these trials and these troubles. And we have the example of God being a father who says, you have everything you need to be able to get past this. He says, you have everything you need. I will provide it for you. All you have to do is trust in me and you will get past this. You will grow from this. It's still a hard thing as a parent to sit there and watch your child go through something. But we're given the examples of what it looks like when you've gone through those trials, you've gone through those troubles, and your faith grows, right? It says in James 1, right, the testing of my faith is going to produce perseverance. So what does that mean? I'm going to go through situations that test my faith. My faith in what? My faith in God my faith that he will provide as he said he will provide, my faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he made himself fully man, he was crucified on the cross, he rose again three days later, and through him, I can experience salvation. Then I have to live my life, life I've ex- like I've actually experienced salvation then. So then I have opportunity time and time again, for that belief, for that faith to be tested so that it can grow stronger. Do I truly believe, that Jesus is my savior. Well, that's gonna be evidenced by how I respond in those trials. It's not just going to be me posting on Facebook, oh, just gotta have faith, life is great. There's gotta be more to it than that. It has to be evidenced in what I'm doing. So we have to come to a better understanding, a truer understanding of what exactly faith is and how it can be truly evidenced in our lives. If we are truly going to make our decisions based on the fact that we are saved, based on our faith in our Savior, then it's going to have some sustenance behind it. It's going to have something that grounds that, that makes it more concrete. It's not going to be just this thing floating in the air. It becomes real and tangible instead of ethereal. Your faith has to be tangible. It has to be in action. Yes, faith is believing. As it says uh, in uh, what uh, Hebrews 11... Verse 1, the faith is the belief in things without evidence. And that is a part of it. But it's not completely without evidences. It's just going beyond those things that are evidence. Because we have an understanding of who God is and God's character, we can then take that extra step. We have an example of how God provided uh, Abraham, for example, and we can take that and see how he interacted with him, and then we can take that faith and we can say, well, if he interacted with that, you know, with that person in this way, then his character must be like this. He shows love. He shows compassion. He shows uh, he shows uh, a little bit of discipline in there. Uh, so I get an idea. I get this picture of who God is, his personality. I form a relationship with him in that. And then I can start to believe some of the wilder things that God's word says. I can start to understand if we have a God who has a personal relationship with me, who wants to be in relationship with me, I can start to believe that he would send his son and his son would do these signs and miracles and it would match up with these prophecies. And since I can believe that we have a God that is this way and he has set these things in motion and we have Jesus who meets these prophecies and performs these signs and miracles, I can have faith that those signs and miracles, even though they may seem fantastic to me, actually did happen. I can have faith that Jesus did conquer death because that is built upon the evidences that have been put in place so that I can reasonably believe that could happen. It's not just this thing floating in the air. See, faith is believing in what God says, although we may not see the whole picture. So there are evidences, but we don't have to have them all in place in order to understand, in order to have that faith. Faith also gives evidence in itself in our lives. So if we actually have faith based on the evidences and we go beyond just those pieces of the picture that we can grab, then that's going to look like something. Our very lives themselves will lend evidence of faith. Basically, what I'm saying there is if you say you believe in God, then you must obey him and live a life according to his will. It's really simple, right? I can't tell you that uh, I agree and, and I believe that, that you know Queen is the, the best, just the, the best music that you will ever hear. And never listen to Queen. There's going to be evidence of my belief in that like the fact that I have every song that they ever produced. If, there's, if I can provide evidence in something as simple and as minuscule as that, how much more evidence would I produce in my life if I believe something as massive as in a God who loves me and wants to have a relationship with me. Not just any God, but the God that created the world and the universe. You've got to live a certain way if you say that you believe that. And the fact that we look back at Abraham and we see the way that he lived and we are... Uh, you know, privy to those details about his missteps. It doesn't weaken our faith. It strengthens it. Because we can see, look, this man evidenced faith in his life. And he stumbled. I stumbled too. I gotta tell you, if you're trying to build a case for like the the perfect uh, religion, you're not going to include those humanistic foibles, right? Those pitfalls. You're going to want to appeal to just the greatness of everything. That itself leads to more evidences of what it is that we believe in. Now that faith, when I say it's evidenced by what it is that we do... I'm just talking about how we live our lives, right? The decisions that we make, the way that we interact with people, what it is that we discuss. But faith, in addition to that, should actually produce something. This is what we call works, right? Those works are going to be uh, an evidence for us. Now, some will say, well, James, if you are looking for works specifically, then that kind of countermounts faith because you're saying, I'm saved, but I have to do these things. And that is not at all what's being said here. The fact that I'm saved will naturally produce these things. So faith is going to lead to works because if I truly believe something, I'm going to live like I do, and that means that I have to follow through. So I'm forgiven not because of those works, but I'm forgiven because of what has already occurred. I want you to just think about how it is that faith works in your life. Do you make decisions based on faith on a regular basis? Are you, you know, having to deal with life-changing decisions? Are you approaching those based on your faith? I want to talk about life-changing decisions real quick. Something greater than any of us, hopefully, have to deal with. You're all familiar with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I just—we're going to look at Daniel chapter three, and we already know uh, most of it, right? We we know that. Uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar made a huge statue and um, proclaimed that everyone had to come out at a certain time and they had to bow down to the statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out like they were supposed to. They stood where they were supposed to. But when it came time to bow down, they did not bow down. So Nebuchadnezzar rounds them up He's really mad. Mad doesn't describe how mad he is. Furious Furious is is good. We're getting there. In verse 13 of chapter 3, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. Flew into a rage. And ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And he said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue that I have set up? I'll give you one more chance. Bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my power? Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we... Sorry, you need to think about this. In the face of this, they say, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. See, there's no there's no question in their minds. First of all, they don't need to defend themselves. Second of all, yeah, God could save them. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. Now, we could continue reading, but obviously Nebuchadnezzar flew into a greater rage, said that furnace isn't hot enough. Make it much, much harder, hotter and throw them in. But I want to just focus real quick on those statements, that statement that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made. And I'm, uh, I'm pulling a little bit from Francis Schaeffer. You may have heard of him. Uh, from the book, uh, No Little People, it's a compilation of several different sermons uh, that are written out. And the particular sermon, of course, is The Three Men in the Fiery Furnace. So I just want to, to read for you uh, Francis Schaeffer's framing of that passage that we just read, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say uh, no. So the three months, the three men said several astonishing things in this speech. First, they stated that while human wisdom would suggest that they give the king a careful answer, hedging it, so as not to offend, they instead were going to give a completely straightforward answer. Expediency was set aside. Secondly, they directly contradicted the implication of Nebuchadnezzar's question, who is the God that shall deliver you out of my hands? They affirmed to the king that this discussion did not turn upon whether God exists or whether he was able to rescue them. That just isn't the topic of conversation. Nebuchadnezzar, they implied, God is able, he does exist, he's different from your gods who have to be carried around by men. He is the living God, the God of heaven, the God of powers in Babylon, as much as in Judea, he is the real God. The point is not whether he is able to deliver because he is able. If he wills to deliver, he can. And finally, the most marvelous of all, they declared that whether or not God did deliver them, they were not going to worship the image. Their message is plain. If God does deliver, we won't worship. If God doesn't deliver, we won't worship. They were sure. They were sure in the face of their death, not only that God existed, but God was able to save them. The question wasn't if they would be saved from the king's power. The question was, if they continued in the face of that, to know that God exists and God could. And even if God didn't, then it wouldn't change their answer. Because their faith wasn't dependent upon God's action in their time of trial. Whatever happened to them made absolutely zero difference as to whether or not God existed. Do you live your life that way? Do you live your life in that whether you go to the left or you go to the right, it still does not have any bearing as to whether or not God exists? Do you have that assuredness? Do you have that evidence? Or is it just a belief? I just got to have faith, James. Because then, if you honestly have that evidenced faith that you believe in wholeheartedly, you have to, to share it properly with others you have to give them the evidences you have to show them example in your own life where that faith has pulled you through you have to tell them the rest of abraham's story not just that he was faithful he was faithful but when faced with his own death possibly no that's my sister But fortunately, Abraham grew in his faith, and fortunately we can too. So my question for you really is, have you reframed your thinking based on who Jesus has revealed himself to be? Does every action you take and the decisions you make speak of that belief? Or does it speak of worldly wisdom? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before Nebuchadnezzar knowing that he had the fate of their lives in his hand, according to worldly wisdom, right? He's the the king. And they said, It doesn't matter because God exists and he can. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. So I want you to take these three questions with that framework in mind. Does faith dictate your actions? This is not just a yes or no answer. You need to examine and see if that's actually true, if that's actually evidenced in your life. Does faith dictate your actions? The second question is, have you paired your faith with discernment? I told you last week that discernment was not broken off or its own entity from faith, and that faith is tied into that discernment, right? So have you paired your faith with that discernment? And then the third thing, of course, just quite simply, how is faith shown in your life? Three simple questions, hopefully lots of discussion. Take the next 20 minutes and then we'll come back and we'll uh, partake in communion.